Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. An episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as we continue our journey through the depths of Season 3, it is my good friend, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how the devil are you doing this week? I'm doing very well. I have risen from the depths like some trans-organic weird creature thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we've we got some things to talk about on that front today, weird as that may actually be to say out loud. But uh, but before we get going, a couple of, bit, couple of bits of housekeeping as it were to begin with. First of all, if you are a first-time listener, thank you very much for checking out the podcast and we hope you enjoy the show. We are going to be talking about three episodes on this edition of the podcast, which we'll be going into more detail over just a couple of moments' time. If you like the podcast, do make sure you tell a friend and make it known that you can find the show on the likes of Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Podcasts, you name it, we've done our best to try and get around as well, like Stitcher and the like. But if there is a platform of choice you would like the podcast available on, do let us know and we'll see if we can do that. You can also find a complete video version of this podcast on YouTube. If you simply go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find us just fine. Speaking of YouTube, the episodes that we watch and the order that we watch them in are dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's the 100% legitimate way to watch the Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. And Andy, today we are going to be delving specifically into episodes 18 to 20 of season 3, which have the following episode titles. Dweller in the Depths, Nightmare Planet, the ultimate weapon. Before we sort of get into these very in a more granular sense, Andy, overall thoughts on this crop of episodes? Yeah, I think all of these are pretty solid in their own ways. Like, I feel like these are, this is another set of episodes that would be the sort of perfect, you know, distillation of this is kind of what watching Transformers is like for the most part of like their episodes with some decent ideas. Some decent execution always feels like it needs another 10 minutes or so to really kind of flesh out and finish off its story. You know, maybe some disappointing kind of ending to them. One of these, I swear, we're suddenly going to come back and find it's a two-parter and the second part is, like, lost somewhere else in season two because <laughs> it very much felt like it. Um, but like, felt, all of felt like we were stories... missing the middle act, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like all of these stories felt like they needed a little bit more breathing space and sort of have to be a bit abrupt, which is as we have mentioned many times before, kind of the the issue with having your 20-minute cartoon of, like, if you have any sort of ambitious idea, the chances of you managing to turn it all around and compress it all into that runtime is a big ask, and they don't usually pull it off perfectly. So, interesting thoughts on that, and this is kind of related to all the episodes in many, well, two of them, the first two that we're talking about today. We've talked about it before, where in Season 3 they started introducing sort of the the character-centric video packages at the end. Mm. Sort of the montage of the various characters. For one of these episodes, I don't know why in hindsight I didn't note it down, but the Hasbro Pulse video, the episode itself was 16 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it has a very long package at the end, which, yeah, feels kind of doubly bizarre, yeah, what, given what we've just mentioned, which, again, I think just fed into part of my, like, maybe there's a part two. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't think there is. Uh, but please, please correct us if we are wrong. Yeah, these episodes, I will say, 
there are some really, f I mean, this seems to be a recurring theme if you're a regular listener, but there are some very interesting and fun ideas. I like the fact that we get a bit more, somehow, Andy, we get some random other Cybertronian, like, lore that we somehow didn't know about, or, more to the point, the Transformers didn't know about themselves. I, I liked those. There were some very, <laughs> this is a dumb thing to phrase it as, but some very, very kids cartoon stuff in this in this crop of episodes. But it's interesting because by comparison, and it's a theme in season three we've had, Andy, there's still some proper body horror in the, in like one or two of these episodes. It doesn't pull punches at certain points. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, sort of all of these episodes sort of have interesting angles to them that they, they do sort of explore, which I think is sort of, it's kind of the interesting thing for me is sort of, you know, episode, episode two, season two had a lot of very sort of, you know, here's like character of the week you know, have some kind of shenanigans to let them take the focus. And these episodes almost had some of that vibe to it, but they did, yeah, they also just had that extra dimension of, again, this series continues to feel just that little bit edgier, that little bit darker than, than season two, and it continues to lean into that post-movie, like, remember when we killed everybody sort of feeling. Yeah, because you don't know why, Andy? Because it's the year 2005 in Transformers lore. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're coming up on an, an, on an episode that name-checks the year 2006. And, uh, <laughs> I, re I remember being, uh, as I've sort of mentioned before, around all this timeline stuff, Like, I remember being amazed as a kid, like, wow, 2006. <laughs> Wait, imagine, what, what will the world be like then? And as it turns out, I would have regretted then the answer when I was a kid, but that's all of the conversation. <laughs> Well, you know what? I think it's time we delve into these episodes proper. So let us begin with discussing Season 3, Episode 18, Dweller in the Depths. First thing I want to know, Andy, with regard to this, and it's not actually delving into the story specifically, I just, as I'm one to do, you know, go on the TF Wiki because we like to discuss some trivia notes after the fact. Apparently, this episode was entirely animated by Toei Animation. And it shows, because it yep. looks like a really good episode. Like, the character de designs, again, like, lots of original character designs that we'll get into here that are all pretty cool and nifty. Um, and, yeah, just, like, the general animation quality. Yeah, I didn't look up who this DJ was, so I wasn't sure it was Toei, but it's like, oh, this was not an Acom animated episode, that's for <laughs> sure. Because everybody looks right, and, yeah, it was actually... Again, it shows how far that stuff goes because i think a, a decent chunk of the reason why i found this episode pretty compelling was the fact that like oh this looks good this is pretty solidly animated yeah it, it, i noticed it from the get-go and i immediately thought who the heck animated this and it's it's interesting because going back to i think we discussed it in the five faces of darkness episode when we kind of talked about the studio change there was mention in the notes that we were reading that there were other studios involved, but I just thought Toei were gone completely. I didn't realise they still cropped up. And in fact, I think if I remember correctly, they're also involved in one of the other episodes that we're talking about today as well, in like a sort of small capacity. But I just genuinely thought that Toei were gone completely following the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew they were doing this kind of like, you know, some production work. And I, I think there's maybe like two or three episodes that, that they're kind of like the primary animation studio on in season three but i could be wrong um but yeah so it's certainly vastly reduced but yeah it's it's, it's very much a like ah oh, the, the good old days <laughs> remember when Terry <laughs> was animating this show the other interesting note about this episode are you aware of who the writer is for this episode I, I am not. Did you go to school with them? Did they teach you? Oh, no, no, it's nothing like that this time, no, believe me. <laughs> oh. But uh, but no, the writer, when I saw it come up in the opening credits, it was Paul Dini, and I immediately thought, 
wait a second. Did a bit of a Google. And just to clarify, because I feel it's worth noting this, Paul Dini is an American writer and producer, and together with Bruce Tim, he is best known for several acclaimed Warner Bros. slash DC Comics animated series, such as Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, a bunch of other Batman-related bits and bobs as well, and Justice League. He was a writer and story editor on ABC's popular television series Lost, and is the co-creator of Freakazoid. <laughs> With, with Tim and Steven, Steven Spielberg as producer, as well as the story editor for Tiny Toons Adventures, one of Spielberg's other animated productions. So, also, fun note because I love these games as well, Deanie is also the sole writer for the Batman video games Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Huh. So, in terms of pedigree, as soon as I had this confirmed, I thought, right, we're in for a ride on this episode because... I love pretty much everything I mentioned when it comes to our previous work that was, that was said there. So I knew we were in for a ride. And I think this episode backs that up perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's sort of, it's interesting kind of given that, that it's, this is an episode that does kind of lean quite hard into sort of, you know, Transformers lore stuff. And I mean, again, it, you know, it introduces a whole new thing. It makes full use of what season three has been doing from the get-go. Of like, great, we've got the Quintessons now. We can just use them to be like, oh, by the way, did we ever mention this other, <laughs> this other, you know, race of, of robots or, you know, organic beings that came into existence? Um, and yeah, I think when when it's done well in an episode like this, it's it really it really works well. But yeah, this is definitely a really well written episode. Um, again, you know, probably only constrained by its runtime. Um, so yeah, it kind of makes sense that it was somebody who went on to do a lot of a lot of good things. So let's delve into the story. We begin on Cybertron with the Autobots at this point comprised of Ultra Magnus, RC, Springer, and Perceptor having just successfully installed and activated Perceptor's new power core for Cybertron, which he says should be able to triple the planet's energy reserves and help the Autobots be very self-sufficient. Through further dialogue about the potential dangers of this power core, Perceptor assures his comrades that every precaution has been taken to ensure it is safe, but if there is a problem, they have an emergency lever, quite literally, that they can pull, kind of looks like the, the flight stick you would have in a fighter jet, for example, and that will eject the core into space. A short distance away in their ship, we see a few Quintessons watching on, disgusted by the success and progress of their creations. One of the Quintessons specifically saying, A remarkable accomplishment. It makes me hate our rebellious construct more than ever. One of the other Quintessons in the room then unveils a plan to release the Dweller, one of the early biomechanical experiments called Transorganics that were developed by the Quintessons that predate the creation of the Transformers. To be a bit more specific, a quote from specifically what they were saying. They were the first attempts at creating a race of subservient cybernetic warriors. Half beast, half machine. But the process was too unstable, and the transorganics were judged too unfit for even simple tasks. One transorganic in particular, originally designed to be an energy siphon, turned on us, and in the fight, that's when I lost one of my own faces to the beast. And at this point as well, Andy, worth noting, we the viewer in the flashback sequence 
see just a tentacle literally going through one of the faces of a Quintesson. That was a moment. Yeah, yeah. And again, that's, that's just a really nice little bit of kind of of scene setting because you know we've seen all these kind of like multi-faced quintessons their five faces of darkness etc etc and like yeah it's, it's just a really nice little narrative kind of point that you know this episode would have been perfectly fine without it but it just gives a little extra free song to it in terms of a the sort of the threat of the, the, this whole dweller thing and just the idea that a quintesson can kind of lose a face basically um and yeah like you say it's it, it is illustrated in a in a appropriate manner i guess but of course there's more to the story because we then hear that the remaining trans organics that they weren't able to destroy were eventually sealed away in a hibernation chamber deep within cybertron with the legend of the dweller now being revealed the question is how would they release it without themselves being destroyed and of course that was asked by another quintesson to which the one who unveiled this plan just went Oh, of course. We'll leave that to the Decepticons. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. It's just their catch-all for everything. Like, I oh, would we'll just trick the Decepticons again. Galvatron's an idiot. We'll just, I'll just do whatever. <laughs> More on that in a second, Andy, about Galvatron being an idiot. So, <laughs> we then go to Planet Char, where Galvatron is lamenting his Decepticon troops. Let's just call it like it is, the sweeps. For their incompetence at being able to recapture Cybertron. Time out. Andy, unless I've really just made this up in my head, have we not discussed many episodes at this point where Galvatron has tried to destroy Cybertron? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it may, maybe some of that therapy in the, the last batch of episodes kind of did, did the trick a little bit and maybe he's maybe he's chilling out a bit. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe we should just go back to, to taking it over again and rather than just blowing the whole thing up. At this point, the Quintessons then just randomly beam down, which clearly adds to the, the, the thought of Char not only being a desolate wasteland, but also clearly has zero planetary defence, quite simply. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Decepticons still don't really have a lot to offer in terms of kind of building these things. But yeah, you'd have, you'd have thought that the the crew that like built a new like base every week back in Season 1 would be able to knock something together, but maybe not. <laughs> Ah, but no, but that inverse the the earth the earth energy that they kept. Stealing. Yes, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? They don't have any sort of energon to call their own, and they can't just go and you know rob another oil refinery on Charles. So. The Quintessons beam down, and we get the following dialogue exchange. Quintesson says, "Greetings, Decepticons. We have come to make you an offer." Galvatron responds with, "Quintessons." You betrayed us to the Autobots. Why should we listen to you? Note from me, Andy. Good point, Galvatron. You know, why should you trust the Quintessons? At least you've learned that much. Quintesson responds with, Ha ha, please, Galvatron. You can't lay one bad experience on the doorstep of the entire Quintes Quintesson race. Besides, how can you be so certain that we are the ones who betrayed you? To which Galvatron responds with, Well... You do all look alike. State your offer. <laughs> they don't all look alike. This one looks like an alligator. 
yeah i mean there is that and also like i mean su- suggesting it was just one time like i feel like we've had multiple storylines where the quintessons have like used the decepticons to do their bidding like i i think there's they're, they're playing a little on some short-term memory loss there like no no we only did this the one time honest <laughs> The Quintessons go on to say that as a peace offering between them and the Decepticons, they will inform Galvatron about the new Autobot's power core. And despite Galvatron warning them to not deceive him, they purposely give him the wrong location. We then cut back to Cybertron, where Galvatron, Cyclonus and the Sweeps have arrived and are breaking into a tunnel that leads below the surface very quickly being pursued by Ultra Magnus, RC, Cup, Springer, and Rekgar. RC and Rekgar making their two random appearances of Season 3 here, everybody, because we haven't seen both of them in a hot minute. Also worth noting, we, the viewer, also see that the Quintessons are happy with how things are progressing, and at this point, set course for Cybertron, because they themselves are not there. In the planet's lowest level, the Decepticons uncover a chamber. Uncover, excuse me, a chamber full of strange, sort of organic pods, if you will. But there's no power core. Realizing they've been tricked, Galvatron. Galvatron does what he does best, Andy. He just shoots first and asks questions later about what the heck is going on, blasting the chamber's machinery and the pods. In turn, releasing the trans organics from their long slumber. Scourge is the first one attacked, and we come to see that they look similar to what I've written down as sort of mechanical zombie versions of various creatures. For example, there's sort of King Kong with long tentacle arms. There's a bear with metal claws and a mechanical face. A metal worm that I wrote down that looks something like a cross between a giant bug with a bear trap on its back, has four green arms, and then there's also like a weird metal bird, and... I don't even know what this means, Andy, but a rock snail. That's what I wrote down, but there we go. Yeah, I I really like all of these character designs. They're they're all pretty kind of good. I mean, especially, you know, like, kid me would have been like, oh, these all look really awesome. And even grown-up me is like, yeah, this is pretty good. Like, we've had some kind of ropey designs for, like, these sort of, you know, one-off monsters in previous episodes. It's like, no, these are are pretty solid. I, I can get into these guys. So what I'm hearing here, Andy, is... Good monster designs, Toei animation. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, who, who who could have who could have foreseen this? So the, the monstrosities tear into the Decepticons, but then turn on the Autobots when they arrive moments later. Galvatron saying, "Come on, let the Autobots serve as a sacrifice as they leave them to, to have to fend for themselves." So at this point. Autobots are being left to, to deal with the creatures. Decepticons have now fled to another chamber, having just blown a hole in the wall, trying to search for a way out, only to encounter, conveniently, the most powerful of the monstrous experiments, the Dweller, as it's noted here by the TF Wiki. A giant energy leech that drains living creatures of their energy. In quick order, the Dweller drains several of the sweeps, also turning them into, like, a grey version of each of themselves. Kind of like, I think we've seen before, Andy, when, like, a, a Transformers spark has gone out. Or, quite frankly, yeah. when they died, like Optimus Prime, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. And, yeah, and th- this is an interesting... Uh, 
it's an interesting one because I'm always kind of a bit of a sucker for this. There's, I, I didn't even mean to make that pun, but I'm a sucker for the, like the whole energy leeching idea. Um, like it's it's always kind of I don't know. There, there's something about it that appeals to me. Um, it's not the only time this will happen in season three either. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. It's, it's it's a cool concept, and of course it takes a rather predictable turn with this episode, but I think it kind of makes it work. I agree. It's as far as concepts go, it's not something that we've seen happen too often in Transformers. I think I'm, I'm trying to figure out. We've maybe seen it once or twice at best before this, across all three seasons so far. Unless I've just really drawn a blank on some really bad episodes. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's been any specific. Certainly not this kind of thing. Like I feel like there have been occurrences that have maybe like drained the energy of a character or something. But yeah, no, nothing on this kind of scale. I don't think really. I mean. Beyond, no, no, I guess even Unicron doesn't really do that. It just eats everything, so. <laughs> he just devours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another interesting character trait, if you will, about this Dweller is after he's effectively sucked all the energy out of the Transformer, he then sort of puts them in almost like, like, it's a weird comparison to make. It's almost like a chamber or a pod on its back, which at first you're like, okay, are you just going to like, keep siphoning the body like like what's going on there but that becomes clear in a few moments the remaining decepticons run back to the other chamber where the dweller has followed and immediately starts trying to siphon ultra magnus and Rekgar frees him while shouting andy and i got a kick out of this yo joe from gi <laughs> joe yeah yeah that's that that's a very smart use of that character to cross promote properties i am i am the fan <laughs> But ultimately, Rekgar is the one that gets siphoned, and as do all of those transorganic monsters that we spoke about, which, in their case, rather than turning grey, any organic parts of them are effectively just vaporised. They're gone now. So literally, they lasted barely half a scene, Andy. Yeah, I mean, starting to think maybe it's a good idea, They a good job that they didn't bring Daniel and Spike on this one. <laughs> this is, I mean, imagine, imagine that on top of all the other kind of horrific things we've talked about in this season. Like, oh yeah, all the humans got vaporised in this one. Yeah, it's like, maybe, they just, maybe the writers were thinking, you know what, Daniel's had a hard time this season. Let's give him an episode off. Yeah, <laughs> because we'll be he'll back have to his Daniel. time shortly. Yeah, we will be back to Daniel in very due course. At this point, Springer tries to rescue Rekgar from the storage pod on the monster's back that I mentioned, with a cool line when he actually gets him out of there, saying, Come on, buddy, they haven't cancelled your series yet. I really like that line. Yeah, also perhaps a little ironic, considering what happens to this series after season three, <laughs> but anyway. I hadn't thought about it, that's a very fair <laughs> point, actually. The zombified Junkion drains his energy too, because yes, you heard me say that right, everybody, Rekgar is now a zombie and is now siphoning energy for the Dweller. So the Transformers are basically now also being turned into zombified energy vampires themselves to ultimately give said energy back to the Dweller. Cup is also lost to the Vampire Horde at this point as well as he saves RC from being siphoned and ultimately RC and Magnus are the only two unvampiric Autobots, that's a very bad way of phrasing that, and managed to escape. Pause it there for a second, Andy, because there's a lot of dialogue, to, or a lot of just there to, to, to take in. At this point, very much enjoying this. 
There's a lot going on. The whole idea that somehow nobody knew this chamber existed at the bottom of Cybertron, this has happened a couple of times now. There's got to be a point when someone needs to have a proper schematic of Cybertron. Yeah, yeah, or just send somebody just to do a bit of a geological survey of just like, sorry, you're the guys. In a weird way, I mean, this would be a really good kind of like Transformers spin-off series, right? Of just having to go through all the deep catacombs of Cybertron and be like, can you just clear up all the stuff that the Quintessons left behind? Because there's probably a lot of them and like every, every episode could be a different crazy like invention of the quintessons like pre-transformers that they have to clean up it'd be like the x-files but <laughs> but x-files the q files maybe um so yeah if, if you know i am available for pictures if anybody would like to, to hire me honestly um, but, you know, it would be a fun spin-off comic yeah for sure like it's it's the kind of thing and, and again it's it is a smart use of the stuff that you know season two that the movie rather and you know kind of season three has sort of put together where it does give them all these avenues to explore and yeah i i think this is this is a really good one i mean even as much as i kind of roll my eyes at the whole like zombie vampire idea like it's it works really well here it's a good table turner of like oh it's not just you know it's not just this monster of the week. It's also now you've got to fight your buddies as well. And like, how are you going to get out of this one? The odds are constantly stacking more and more against you as more and more kind of people succumb to it. And so, yeah, like it's a really good solid way of kind of, you know, raising the tension and making things interesting. We then cut back briefly to the Quintessons where one, where the one who came up with the scheme is told quote unquote, you will be honored for your shrewd plan once we take our rightful world. I loved the fact, Andy, that he was literally told, you'll be honoured for your shrewd plan. <laughs> it's just not something you hear too often. Yeah, I mean, that feels like the Quintesson uh, equivalent of being to- told that you're doing it for exposure. Like, <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll honour you. Not going to get paid for it, but we will honour you. <laughs> you'll be written down on this wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, 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 put, we'll put you on the credits of our website. It'll be fine. <laughs> However, the interesting thing is said Quintesson, who was told this, responds by saying that all he wants, quote, is a chance to destroy the creature that did this to me. And then we see him turn his face and he has like a mask hiding his damaged face, which is just a really cool random little touch. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a really nice kind of angle because you know the Quintessons have always been very detached from everything. You know they are very much the get Galvatron to do our dirty work for us because he's an idiot. Um, and so yeah, like to have this guy who has this very definitive revenge mission on top of everything else, it's just like again, it's one of those things didn't need to be in this episode necessarily, and you wouldn't have missed it. But it's a nice addition to you know everything that's going on and kind of adds a little a little extra angle to, to what is transpiring. Back on Cybertron, lost in the maze of chambers and tunnels in the depths of the planet, the Transformers are unable to find their way back to the surface. The Decepticons find their numbers quickly whittled down by the Dweller until only Galvatron is left. However, Andy, I think it's poignant to note, we say that, you know, their numbers were whittled down. It was partially helped by Galvatron throwing his comrades into the path of the vampires himself. Yeah, I mean, when I said that the therapy had maybe helped him, I might have been uh, being a little overly <laughs> indulgent because, yeah, maybe, maybe not. 
That was a wonderful moment. Especially as well, I think it was Sweep's, uh, uh, sorry, Scourge's eyes just looked really like bug-like of, no, don't do this to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even hunted by the subterranean nightmare, Galvatron can't resist the chance to attack the last two Autobots, Magnus and RC, when he eventually comes across them. There is also a great note from Gal, a great quote, excuse me, from Galvatron as he runs into them. Quote, I don't know what that thing is back in the tunnels, but even if it gets me as well, I'll die with the satisfaction that the universe will have two more Autobots to mourn. End quote. What a great quote from Galvatron. Yeah, very good. Very good. At this point, their struggle is soon interrupted by the arrival of the Dweller, which dislodges Galvatron's cannon in the process of attacking him and knocks him out. RC then grabs Galvatron's arm cannon... And just starts blasting quite, quite rapidly. Just lots and lots of fire going on. Eventually yeah. creating a big hole in the wall. But can, 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 can we just say how cool that moment is? Like it's so kind good. of, it, it, it reminds me of, you know, when, whenever anybody stole like Megatron's cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, there's something incredibly satisfying about seeing those big old weapons just getting grabbed by somebody else and just randomly blasted. Um, I, I very much enjoyed that. What I really liked as well about it, it's just reminded me, is I think RC grabs it and fires the first shot and it literally propels her back because of how much power there is in the cannon and then just keeps like rapid firing like you're playing a shooting game on the Xbox or something. Just hammering the the R2 button. Yeah, the whole like feeling of, of recoil and, and kind of the, the, the kickback of, of that weapon is, is really good. And then, yeah, that she just kind of carries on just like from the floor, just firing. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a really good shot. And again, it's like a thank God Toei animated this episode because otherwise it would have been some robot that maybe might have been RC doing something. And, you know, who can say? At this point, the Dweller is now heading through that hole that was blasted in the wall, which is apparently as well towards the power core. Magnus and RC then decide to just leave Galvatron, Magnus saying, ah, I'll send the junkie on for him later. <laughs> the two Autobots make it back to headquarters where they update Rodimus Prime and Perceptor on the situation. But at this point, the energy vampires just burst in right behind them. Perceptor, being the scientific whiz that he is, quickly determines that the vampires are suffering from a unique form of energy depletion and that a power surge should restabilize their levels. <laughs> Which I, I, I really like that basically the solution to this is just that they're hangry. <laughs> that they, it's like, yeah, yeah, same. Like, that's pretty much where I'm at if I've not had my lunch and I'm a bit low on energy. Relatable. <laughs> at, at this point, we get a weird moment because the Autobots form a sort of like a chain by holding hands and then which leads to Perceptor essentially digging in his his a screwdriver into like a power socket I've written down <laughs> and then just electrocutes them and just creates a giant electrical storm in many ways in that in that headquarter office yeah it's it's quite I mean I, I feel like may, maybe maybe they saw that episode with Sandwave and Galvatron holding hands and was just like we've we got to get some of this and then not realizing that Perceptor is just going to stick a fork in the socket at the end of it but <laughs> hey whatever works but hey it did work Andy because now they all get back to normal Cyclonus scourge in the sweeps and then kind of like the heck is going on here and then just dive out of a window to escape <laughs> quite literally <laughs> also I should note the sweeps go back very quickly to Galvatron, who at this point is now doing his traditional, you know, retreating, fleeing from the planet thing. 
I did wonder if for a moment they may have gone, should we add a line of dialogue going, hey, Galvatron, look, I'm a follower of yours. Can you not sacrifice me to vampires, please? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I mean, to be fair, like these, these are the same people that, you know, almost sacrificed Galvatron to the inhabitants of Webworld a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, horses for courses at this point. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Dweller is breaking free to the surface of Cybertron, and it's growing in size from all the energy it is absorbing and is rapidly heading for Perceptor's generator. Knowing that it's going to be unstoppable once it's attached itself to the generator, Perceptor uses the emergency eject switch to launch both the generator and the dweller into space. At this point, we then cut back to the Quintessons, who are getting closer to Cybertron, and they're a little bit puzzled to see that there's still energy readings coming from the planet. One of them sort of going, it should be done by now, what the heck is going on? And of course, Andy, the tables turn on them when the Dweller randomly just latches and attaches itself to their ship and basically is draining it dry. We cut back to the Autobots, who are, Autobots, excuse me, who are working to recover from the loss of the power core, but they do all highlight it's a small price to pay to be rid of the creature for the fact that they're still alive. And the episode ends basically with another shot of the Quintesson ship's uh, ship, excuse me, just being consumed by this creature and then it fades to black yeah so i mean are we going to talk about the fact that the autobots have unleashed an energy draining monster into the universe i've, or... literally, I've literally got this written down <laughs> because this is why i felt like this was going to be a two-parter because it feels like part two should be like okay now we've got to go and deal with this thing before it drains the entire universe of energy and that would have been a really cool, like, part two of, you know, going through space to find it draining all these planets and finding a way to, to kill it. But it's just like, no, it's just like, well, glad we got rid of it. Like, it's a bit like <laughs> taking the big poisonous spider and just, like, tipping it into your neighbor's house. And then being like, oh, got rid of the spider. And it's like, well, yes, but also. <laughs> so let's venture onto the TF wiki to see some, some interesting trivia notes relating to this episode specifically. Uh, first of all, not a spoiler in many ways, but just an interesting note. Along with the episodes Grimlock's New Brain and Big Broadcast of 2006, this is one of several episodes in which the Autobots are hard at work at restoring Cybertron. So, this looks like it's going to be a recurring theme going forward, Andy, which I'm cool with. Hmm. Fun note here. There is an unusual hint of sarcasm in Cyclonus's voice when he delivers the line, Galvatron, I'm relieved you got away, my lord. <laughs> Almost as if the unquestionable loyal Cyclonus is getting a bit tired of always being used as cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah. There is definitely an undercurrent going on there, which I, I do enjoy. So, there is some notable lovely artwork in this episode, such as the Quintesson's face being destroyed, RC straining against the Dweller's web, and the damaged sweep falling to the ground, getting extra amounts of loving mechanical detail. There's careful shading on lots of characters and plenty of dynamic poses and well-proportioned characters. I've got to say, one of the other things that made me think who was doing the animation for this episode, I think it was the opening scene when they kind of showed them all standing by a window. And then yeah. they have the moment where RC has got a reflection in the window, which I think she says, there's Rodimus's signal. And it's clearly not Rodimus outside, but whatever. <laughs> but there's just a moment where there's a really good reflection in the window and you suddenly think, 
oh, there's budget or a good studio with this episode. Who is doing the work? I need to know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like all, all of that stuff really, really helps carry it. Galvatron comments that all the Quintessons look the same, yet this episode features some of the more disparate designs in place of the usual five-faced Quintessons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of ironic that <laughs> this is the episode they really deviate. So, I'm not sure if this is going to be a bit of a spoiler-filled thing for an upcoming episode, but I'll read it anyway. In similar fashion to the big broadcast of 2006, this episode was adapted by Marvel as a fill-in comic issue. It was never published, but held in reserve as a backup, quote-unquote, in case of a deadline emergency. Inked and uncolored pages from this adaptation surfaced online in 2015, and while generally faithful to the episode, several differences are notable. Rodimus, not Springer, is shown giving the signal to activate the power core and reacting with a WOW! I just mentioned that as well. I'm glad I did pick that up. The Quintessons have got a completely different design. And when Magnus orders Galvatron to halt, Galvatron's, of course, Ultra Magnus response has a logical concluding line, it gives me a better aim. (laughs) Presumably, that was cut from the episode for whatever reason. And finally, Andy, something we've had good fun with in recent podcasts. Let's look at some of the uh, the foreign localization, as it were, when it comes to what the name of this episode would have been. So, in English, known as Dweller, Dweller in the Depths, basically the same title in different languages. In French, it was called The Monster of the Depths, which I kind of like. There was also, I like the Italian, so there's a couple of dubs like we talked about before in Italian. The first dub, apparently, called it Terra from the Deep. Whereas, I'm pretty sure that's like a Doctor Who episode as well. <laughs> but as, is that not like a Goosebumps book or something? You know? Yeah, I mean, that, that is kind of generic also. The second Italian dub, He Who Lives in the Depths. <laughs> And then, I think the Japanese title takes it best, Andy, because that translates to The Vampires of Planet Cybertron. <laughs> you see, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, that's again, really selling it, you know, in, in the way that, that would, would sell the most copies right there. So, overall, I've got to say, Andy, I really enjoyed this episode. There is some ridiculous stuff in it, but like you say, the vampire thing is actually kind of good fun. It just is. It works really well. As a one-shot episode with a bit of extra lore into Transformers slash Quintesson history, it just works really well as a standalone episode. But like you say, there is the minor detail that, once again, they have launched a creature that's going to destroy a planet into space for someone else to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. At least one planet. I mean, who knows where it might end up. But yeah, which in a weird way is kind of like testament to the fact that this is a pretty good episode. The fact that I'm sat there at the end being like... I want to know more, like, what what happens to the Dweller next? I want to see, like, a continuation of this, which, you know, there are no shortage of, like, one episode only characters and entities where I am quite happy to forget about them and go straight to the next episode. So to have one where it's like, well, they seem interesting. There's a potential through line here. Like, can we can we have some more of this? Is is actually, you know, I think a testament to this being a, a good, solid episode that, yeah, like... It, break it down into its component parts and there's nothing kind of incredible or shocking here but it all sits together really well and, and kind of flows really nicely so uh, so yeah it's, it's a it's a good good app also it, it's funny actually what we were just saying about like for someone else to deal with like the creature's problems this is tan- i don't know why because i just suddenly thought because the writer was bruce tim 
uh, sorry, it was Paul Dini. But there is a Batman comic storyline. I want to say it was in, it was in Detective Comics about three or four years ago. I think it's a really good run. But there was a there was a an arc in it called the Victim Syndicate, which is where the criminals are all people that have been like collateral damage of what the vigilantes have done to save people. Mm, yeah, and I kind of feel like that's a Transformers story waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, see, I thought you were going to say there's an episode, but there's this energy draining monster that comes out of space and turns people into zombies. And I mean, like, more, more, they did more than likely. The <laughs> yeah, they did. This is actually ended up as a Batman story. Crazy. So I think from there it is time to move to our next episode of the day, that being season three, episode nineteen, Nightmare Planet. To begin with, Andy, when it comes to talking about this episode, I would like to make note that the animation studios credited, according to the TF Wiki, are Nakamura Production, Studio Look, and Toei. Yeah, and, and this, this was also a pretty decent episode. Again, definitely, it was, wasn't a train wreck. Um, it, was, it was pretty pretty solid, looked, looked quite decent. And in terms of the writer of this episode, because I think it's worth noting, because there's a couple episodes of note in here, Beth Bornstein has written episodes of Transformers as well as G.I. Joe, Gem, and Batman the Animated Series. The Transformers episodes that they also wrote, Andy, were Child's Play and The Search for Alpha Trion. I mean, yeah, if, if you'd have asked me, like, name one of the episodes that this writer wrote, I would have gone straight to Child's Play. Yeah. Because there's a very definite kind of through line there in terms of the thinking. Alpha Trion less so, but but this was definitely, a, yeah, like, it, this is this is like when you, you drive into a British town and it has, like, twinned with wherever on it. Like, this episode <laughs> was where it's like Nightmare Planet twinned with Child's Play. So, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. We begin... With Daniel having nightmares involving a giant Galvatron crushing him under his foot. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he's not having nightmares about a giant Optimus Prime <laughs> crushing him <laughs> under his foot. But I guess that would have made that would not have lent into the story to come quite as well. <laughs> now, according to Daniel, this is a recurring nightmare. But Rodimus, who is conveniently in his room, we come to find out it's because Spike and Carly were worried and asked him to come along just to be with him basically suggested if you see that galvatron again just imagine a giant me rodimus to fight him off then i'll protect you and you'll be just fine yeah and then daniel's <laughs> like no i tried that and you're useless like <laughs> it, it just make it just makes the dream more boring so <laughs> did you catch the line i think it was it must have been spike that said it because carly didn't, didn't say anything in this but there was a line of that the reason that they asked rodimus to come visit him was because according to Spike, Daniel respects Rodimus the most. Yeah, I mean, I felt like that that was a good callback to the movie, right? Where it's like Agreed. Daniel and Hot Rod were best buddies, but it's like, yeah, you know, the, things things have moved on. And yeah, like, uh, it, it's sort of maybe the one thing that this episode doesn't do that would have been quite interesting is to like explore the Daniel and Rodimus relationship a bit more because, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, they used to just hang out and... Yeah, you know, he just used to go fishing. But, but you know, now Rodimus is leader of the Decepticons and Daniel is, like, blowing up Hang on, spaceships. wait, wait. Roll that back, Andy. No pun intended. Oh, leader of the Autobots. There well, I mean, you know, <laughs> sometimes you could wonder. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, he's got all these important responsibilities and Daniel's blowing up spaceships and, you know, they've, they've, they've drifted apart. And there's an interesting little story there, but this is, is, is less so about that. 
I mean, it's always helpful, you know, when Daniel just goes to, like, you know, the Autobot backup library or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which also <laughs> got blown up, if I recall. So, you know. There's a recurring theme here. <laughs> but now, as Daniel falls back asleep, Rodimus has left the room, as of Spike and Carly, we quickly see a tentacle starting to grab Daniel. Ominous. Meanwhile, Ultra Magnus, Springer, Rodimus are then driving through some thick fog, which gotta be said, looks remarkably similar to the scene that we saw in Daniel's dream. Just saying. Then, out of nowhere, the Predacons attack. However, both factions of Transformers are suddenly attacked by monsters. One of which... Now, I sent you a picture of this, Andy. I might try and edit this into the video if I can. If not, I'll put a screenshot on, on our thumbnail or something, or on Twitter and, and Instagram. But there's Frankenstein's monster that looks remarkably like Leonard Nimoy to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you can't tell whether it's just, like, generic pop culture reference, whether it's specific Transformers the movie callback, or whether it's just that they were scrambling around in the studio for some reference materials and someone was watching an episode of Star Trek, and they're like, ah, that'll do. Um, but either way, yeah, there's definitely, there's, it is decidedly Leonard Nimoy-esque. <laughs> So we've got various things happening in terms of like Frankenstein monster type enemies, a wolfman, a skeleton in the cape, fire breathing dragon, but all of them are having zero effect from the Transformers weapons. Predator King at this point basically saying, uh, Predator King has the power, he needs nothing more, as he says when he's about to face a giant beast, then just promptly gets kicked in the face and separated. Can yeah, they make so these combiners look any more weaker, Andy? It's a recurring theme. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing with the Predacons as well, because there, there was that hot minute where they were introduced as like, oh my god, the unstoppable Predacons, and then they just kind of got stopped immediately. Um, <laughs> also disappointed that Predacon, Predaking didn't say, I've got, that he's got the touch, he's got the power, but, you know, <laughs> missed miss, miss a chance for another movie reference there. I wonder if they would have had to have paid royalties for that. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Predaking voiced by Stan Bush for this episode only. At this point, lots just lots more monsters start appearing, including a witch, and there's the giant from Jack in the Beanstalk, who's kind of doing the whole fee five fo thumb thing, I spot the blood of an Englishman, but then also starts saying, You want Englishman, but just as tasty to the Transformers. Yeah, I I I, I laughed out loud at that. That was a great stupid line. It turns out the Quintessons are using Daniel's nightmares to create chaotic monsters which will destroy the unpredictable, as the Quintessons put it, Autobots and Decepticons. Also, as they note, it's partly to help them understand the humans a bit more, because remember everyone, a recurring theme is they just don't get how humans work. And I would like to reliably inform everyone, even in 2022, looking back on this, we humans still don't know how we humans work. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, same. <laughs> Just <laughs> same. Throughout all of this commotion, Springer and Razorclaw are randomly captured and taken by the flying fire-breathing dragon to a castle. While there, they meet a princess who looks a heck of a lot like Carly, but isn't Carly, literally isn't Carly, who is chained in a dungeon, whom Springer unbinds. She tells them that the dragon chained her up here, which Springer doesn't understand how the heck that's actually even possible given the size of the dragon. And then when he says he wants to know where they are, 
she responds by saying, that really doesn't matter, does it? But if you can defeat him and return me home, my father the king will pay you a large sum of gold. When she said that, Andy, I went, she's a traitor. She's going to betray them because who else says that doesn't matter? It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely something if he if he going on there. And also, like, what what's going on with Daniel's subconscious that he's he's dreaming up these characters as well? I have questions. Maybe he needs to go to web worlds. There you go. I will also note. Did you uh, catch Razor Claw's response to when he heard about the large sum of gold? I don't think I did. It was simply, and I'm going to try and do this verbatim, just gold? <laughs> it seems like that would be more of a swindle thing, but I guess the Combaticons <laughs> weren't in this episode. That's the next episode we get to talk about yeah, swindle. Yeah, we, we, get, we get our swindle moment. Springer then responds with, I'll do it, milady, and for no reward. To which Razor Claw then responds back with, Ah, speak for yourself, Autobot. <laughs> Now, we haven't really touched on this too much at the moment, but as we said, it's the Quintessons that are trying to harness, like, a machine's power and whatnot to amplify Daniel's dreams. As we'll come to realise during this episode, there are various settings on this machine as to how much intensity the, the, the nightmares that Daniel was pumping out, I guess is the way to phrase it. Is, is pushing out. We have the settings, Andy, I noted down because of how the, the console looked, of one, two, three, four, and one. <laughs> <laughs> which i don't know if that was meant to be a, like a fancy way of writing down like end or seven or something but either way there is a max setting but to me it just looked like the number one yeah i mean maybe yeah maybe that's just their safety thing it's like you know when you have like the the dial on a gas hob and so there's no if you turn it up too high it just kind of turns it off again maybe maybe that's what they're doing there just in case <laughs> maybe the quintesson's very safety conscious also, we'll note that, uh, that, that, that Not Carly did go on to say that there is a magic lance hidden in the castle and it can kill the dragon that brought them all there. Remember that, everybody. That's all I'm going to say. Just remember that. Back at the battle on the outside, Rodimus, Magnus and the Predacons are being threatened by a witch and a giant, as mentioned previously. They manage to dodge a blast from the witch that turns the giant into a toad and Magnus then finds a... It wasn't Magnus, I think it was Rodimus, actually. Finds a bucket of water, which then destroys the witch. Then, like, a giant, a giant snake monster appears from the ground, nearly swallows the Transformers. And then there's just lots and lots of enemies and stuff happening and going on. But each time, they're able to sort of get a bit of an upper hand due to a random occurrence. In one instance, a, a biplane randomly turning up on the scene, with there being... A familiar face piloting the plane, which I wrote down as, that's season two Spike, <laughs> quite simply. Because it turns out that Daniel's subconscious mind is helping the Autobots get through all of these predicaments. Somehow he is fighting the Quintessons machine, which the Quintessons are less than happy about. So they turn up the energy to number two. Back at the castle... Springer is trying to find a way out of their prison. Razor Claw has just simply decided to wait for the guards to come, and then Springer thinks of a plan and re requires Razor Claw's help. Not that Razor Claw wants anything to do with this. Like, literally, just more than done with this nonsense already. Back with Rodimus and co. They all continue to fight their way past various creatures like Venus flytraps and such. And there's also what... How do you describe these, Andy? I've written down 
really odd bootleg looking fused circus creature clowns. I mean, that's probably as succinct a description as you're going to get out of anybody <laughs> for that. So sure, well, let's go with it. Let's go with that. Now, the only good thing about these characters, Andy, is they did randomly throw some giant bouncy balls at Predacons to knock them down. <laughs> yeah. Again, the, the, the incredibly strong Predacons. So, uh, just a quick note here in terms of how I've written down my notes. There's a lot of back and forth between scenes going on. So, in an effort to try and help make the discussion a bit more concise, I've tried to combine various scenes that have happened over the course of the next few paragraphs. So, if from your perspective, Andy, this goes a bit loopy, that's why. So, Rodimus Magnus and the Predacons find an abandoned amusement park and they head into the fun house that has a wall of mirrors. We get to see some fun moments of Ultra Magnus looking really wacky in a mirror. But also, Rampage and Tantrum are then attacked by the mirrors, while Dive Bomb falls into a large hole, and then Rodimus and Headstrong are attacked by a giant Galvatron, and Headstrong is just really confused, because he's like, Galvatron, how you doing? You should have been here earlier! And Rodimus is kind of going, dude, he's not real. Like, have you not figured this out yet? <laughs> And then he's like, oh, what are you talking about? It's Galvatron. Thank you. Help me, please. And he just starts crushing them in his hands. It's a great moment. But then a giant Rodimus Prime appears. And this is also then, Andy, I don't know if you noticed, where we get some weird voiceover moments where clearly some lines of dialogue were recorded as a particular character, but they kind of appeared wrong in the actual episode. Yeah, yeah I definitely got a little bit confused by one or two of these. <laughs> Because Giant Rodimus has like his own inflection of talking, and there were various moments where they kind of flip flop the other way around, or it was all just one voice. It was a bit random. It, it happened, I guess, is the way to phrase it. But this is when Rodimus realizes that they are all somehow in Daniel's dream, due to the situation matching the advice he gave in the opening scene of the episode to call forth a Giant Rodimus to help him. At the castle, meanwhile, Springer has now magically got the lance and is fighting the dragon, Andy. All that stuff about you've got to go and find the lance and, you know, he can beat the dragon. He's just got it. Yeah, th th this definitely feels like a moment of, like, you realise we've only got a 20-minute episode to play with here. <laughs> just, just fast forwards, just <laughs> skip to the end. <laughs> but Springer needs help defeating this dragon. Razorclaw is refusing to help, but Princess, not Carly, reminds Razorclaw that the dragon will kill him as well. At this point, Razorclaw reluctantly serves as Springer's mount, and then he stabs the dragon, killing it. Then there... So, throughout this, Andy, this moment, there is a great moment when Springer is on Razorclaw's back, and the princess just shouts, Be careful, Springer! And then Razorclaw, under his breath, in kind of a bit of a jealous, mocking way, kind of just goes, Be careful, Springer. <laughs> just great little moment there for Razorclaw. Loved it. Also... Once the castle and this dragon had disappeared, a quote-unquote yellow brick road appeared. It is the, the dullest-looking yellow brick road I've ever seen, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like, at best, mud. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, ye ye yellow bricks don't come cheap. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rodimus is calling out to Daniel, and shocked by the revelation that Daniel was trying to help save the Transformers in his nightmares... The Quintessons now set the, the machine to its highest level, which will likely kill Daniel. The dream world begins to deteriorate. 
Princess Not Carly guides them through the storm because somehow she's the only one that can communicate with Daniel now. Don't know how, don't know why. Ignore that fact, everybody. Daniel then wakes up, quote-unquote, and is able to somehow draw the Quintessons in subconsciously, despite being in the real world, and the Autobots also trying to help rescue him while this is going on. It sounds as confusing as I am reading it, because that is how confusing it was, everybody. The machine explodes... Seemingly, the Quintessons that kidnapped Daniel are killed. I mean, we assume he got kidnapped. I don't know where they are. But either way, we assume that they're killed. Then, there is calm. Daniel is just knocked out, lying in Rodimus's arms, quite frankly, because he's had a, had a night, I guess, if he's been asleep all that time in the nightmares. But Razorclaw still wants to have a scrap with the Autobots. But Headstrong can't transform. This amplified even more, Andy, by the very succinct line of dialogue... I can't look at my leg! <laughs> Preventing them from becoming Predaking. Keep that in mind, everybody. The fact that one of the combiners couldn't transform to become the, the combined form of something. Keep that in mind for the next episode we'll be discussing. Just saying. We then go... Well, sorry. Decepticons retreat. Traditional. You know that. Back at home, Daniel wakes up not remembering anything that happened and tells Rodimus that he took control of his dream, summoning a giant Rodimus to help defeat the nasty giant Galvatron. Rodimus tells Daniels, Great, you conquered your nightmare! Quote unquote, No more Galvatrons and no more snake monsters. Quote. Daniel looks confused and then just goes, Hey, how do you know about the snake monsters? <laughs> and then we get the cheeky little smile from Rodimus as the screen fades to black. <laughs> do you know what there were some fun moments in this episode andy a lot of it, it is a bit nonsensical and some of it is very difficult to genuinely follow but there were some fun moments perfectly inoffensive but if i don't see this episode again it won't hurt me yeah i mean i really like this episode conceptually like mm -hmm. the idea of you know leveraging daniel's nightmares against the Transformers and you know again that whole Quintesson angle of like you know trying to understand humans there's a lot of interesting stuff in there but yeah I think the execution of it is I sort of admire it in some ways for being kind of confusing because it very much leans into the like hey dreams are crazy right like anything can happen um and I sort of I sort of like that it goes there with that a little bit um but there are still parts of it where it could do with a little bit more kind of clarity to to help help it make sense and to help kind of like guide the viewer through it a little bit. Um, and my only other disappointment is that given that they had a whole scene in A House of Mirrors where we were seeing lots of misshapen and missized Transformers, I don't know why they didn't get Acom to animate that part. <laughs> but, you know, if ever there was a job for them, that would have been the moment. There was ever a time to harness the power of Acom. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like, no, you just need to do this one scene. You know, don't just just do your normal job. It's fine. It'll, it'll, it'll work perfectly. So to the TF Wiki we go for some facts about this episode. First of all, Andy, the original air date of this episode was Halloween, October eighty six. Yeah, which again, you've got to imagine that that was very much pre-planned to have like, hey, can we have something a little bit Halloweeny? Can we have something with a witch in it? Uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Real world references. The yellow brick road and the witch being defeated by a bucket of water are both references to Andy. Do you know? 
Um, yeah, uh, I, I won't say Alice in Wonderland. That's not what I mean. <laughs> My brain is just frazzled on the spot. Um, if I say the yes. word wizard, would it help? Wizard of Oz, yes, thank you. There you go. The giant recites the famous lines from Jack and the Beanstalk, as mentioned. And in terms of sound effects, uh, the Death Star Super Laser from Star Wars is the sound effect as Dive Bomb flies over the bootleg clowns that I mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody just the other day about, like, random Star Wars sound effects turning up in, like, various media, um, you know, anime, cartoons, other movies, the whole thing. Like, there's a lot of banked sound effects that you just often randomly seen turn, see turn up. And it always amazes me how people can use those and think, yeah, we can get away with this, because immediately you're always thinking of the Star Wars version of it. Now, admittedly, for this note, I didn't actually notice this, maybe because I was trying to keep keep track of what the heck was going on and writing down notes, but apparently this episode is the first to use the new, more heavily synthesised Season 3 background music. Well, I don't think that's true for us because we've had other episodes that have had that music. Oh, sorry, um, I, I, should, I should clarify, but sorry, that's the notes on the TF Wiki, but from my perspective, I just didn't notice the music in general. Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely noticed that this was okay. yeah, this this was all in on the season three music. So uh so yeah, I mean that, that was definitely one of the bits I enjoyed about it. It was just like, Oh yeah, I do I continue to really like this uh, this season of the soundtrack so to have an, an episode where it, it, it trafficked that heavily was was pretty cool so springer acting as a knight is at least an unintentional pun because the german word for knight in a chess game is springer mm. so localizations what do we get on this so reminder it's called nightmare planet in english uh, in french it was known as the nightmare planet as it was in various other territories even in Japan, Andy, it was simply called Nightmare Planet. Though, wait, there's, a, there's an additional note here. You know what? I'm just going to read this note verbatim, Andy. Okay, let's see how this goes. The The episode features... This is for, for Japan, again, just to clarify. This episode features an original Secret Files of Teletran 2 segment exclusive to the Japanese version. It <laughs> focuses on the Predacons, Protector Bots... Aerial bots, stunticons, and the combaticons, and is really long. <laughs> this replaces the original secret file segment, which focused on the decepticons, quintessons, and sharkticons. Which I guess is the one that we got at the end of the Hasbro Pulse version. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. So yeah, maybe they've they've kind of added that in. So uh, in Italian, uh, this episode in. <laughs> In the first dub in Italian, Andy, this plan this uh sorry, this episode was simply known as Nightmares. <laughs> then in the second dub, the Planet of the Nightmare. Okay, yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah, that 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 is fair. I'm sort of a bit disappointed that you know the Japanese version wasn't just called like, oh no, Daniel makes a witch or something. <laughs> that was what I was expecting. Oh no, giant Galvatron! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Galvatron gets really big. Oh no. <laughs> So uh, overall, in fact, thinking about that that note about the um, the secret files bit from Teletran, I think this was the episode I was referencing where the timer stopped at like sixteen minutes. Yeah, if memory serves, yeah. which kind of makes sense for everything that happened. That said, as we noted, Andy, there is a very clear bit where there is a an arguable scene missing when Springer found the lance. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder whether that was just like 
cut because they were behind schedule or whether there was kind of a story decision to say like nah that bit sucks like even even for this episode standards that bit sucks um and, and you know they they, they ditched it because yeah it is i i definitely i'd forgotten which of the episodes it was but yeah now you mentioned it this was definitely one where i kind of like looked at the counter on the youtube video like wait what do you mean the end credits are rolling we're like <laughs> we're, we're only like halfway through um and then yeah you, you get you get your your long uh, your long info dump at the end of it this is the one where they were trying to sell toys, clearly. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing with, with that stuff. You know, you wonder whether there's somebody from Hasbro looking over their shoulder and it's like, not not enough toys in this one. Can you just, like, actually push some of these guys? Thought, okay, hypothetical thought here. If this aired on Halloween in America, which is one of the biggest holidays in America in general... One would assume this still probably aired in the afternoon, so before kids would have gone out trick-or-treating. So if it's one of the big holidays in America, you can imagine it's probably a very good time to show a giant long advert at the end of an episode hyping up a whole bunch of toys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if, you know, there'd there'd been some requests, or, or maybe just a more general sense of, like, hey there's going to be big ad slots in this episode so your runtime is going to be cut i mean i don't know whether that's the kind of thing that tv stations would maybe do or not because you know normally they're given a pretty consistent runtime but hey it would not surprise me if something like that had happened given the the timing of it Mm. so yeah like you said a few minutes ago a really really good concept it's just a shame it didn't all land properly but conceptually some very good thoughts there yeah yeah for, for sure and you know there are definitely like there are there are sort of episodes like throughout sort of transformers storytelling where you know they, they managed to sort of pull this kind of idea of like oh you know you've gone into another world whether it's a computer world or whatever and kind of make it stick and this this isn't one of the better ones of those but i do i do have a bit of a soft spot for them trying that kind of stuff and yeah some interesting angles speaking of interesting angles it's time to discuss our final episode of this edition of the podcast as we now discuss season three episode 20 the ultimate weapon Nobody, this is not a season one episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to like show up on, on the video version, but I literally wrote The Ultimate Doom on my notes <laughs> because that's the kind of idiot I am. And it's just like, that is the name that sticks in my head. Um, and so, yeah, I nearly corrected Jeremy at the start of this podcast. Like, oh, you've, 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 you've made it the ultimate weapon. It's, it's the ultimate doom. And they're like, wait, no, I, I am the one in the wrong here. <laughs> so, yeah, a little peek behind the curtain at the fact that I don't know episode titles, as it turns out. So the writer of this episode was Arthur Byron Cover, who was an American writer and in addition to Transformers, also wrote episodes of Spiral Zone, Phantom 2040 and The Real Ghostbusters. Has also written a number of short sci-fi stories as well. Gonna be honest, Andy, out of those three shows I just mentioned, I only know of The Real Ghostbusters. Yeah, I feel like... Phantom, I've maybe seen a bit of, I feel like, at some point, probably. But yeah, the real Ghostbusters is the obvious standout there. Yeah, because Phantom 2040, uh, just doing a quick search on it, it's it's the the old character called Phantom, who, if you're familiar with yeah. the cartoon Defenders of the Earth, it's Phantom yeah. in that, just in the year 2040. 
Yeah, yeah, I sort of remember that. I think that maybe came after Defenders of the Earth as a, as a spin-off because like, oh, he's the character everybody likes in that show, and it's like, no, that's this is not how that works, and I don't recall it doing very well. But also, just looking at uh, this person's credits. They've also got a credit for a TV series where they wrote one episode of a cartoon called Dino Saucers. <laughs> I want to know more, I must admit. Okay, that is, let, that let's have a look. An, that could be another podcast where we watch all of Dino Saucers. <laughs> right, I'm just going to read the synopsis So here, here we of this series. So, two factions of warriors from outer space c- crash land on Earth. A good one in light blue armor and an evil one in red and an evil one of red... Oh, this is badly worded. And an evil one of red dinosaurs in dark blue armor. The good join forces with several Earth children to stop the evil from conquering this new world. Interestingly, uh, the creator is Michael Uslan, who is also, I believe, heavily involved in the Batman franchise in terms of licensing it out. Like, a very influential figure in that, in that scene of things. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm still sort of just disappointed it's not a series about dinosaurs that you can put your teacup on, but I guess I'm thinking <laughs> of a different kind of saucer. I mean, I've got to say, I'm looking at some photos on IMDb, and there are some interesting design choices here. <laughs> My word. I, I will let people delve into that as they hear us talk about yeah. this. I was going to say, on a scale of one to GoBots, how bad is it? <laughs> I mean, look, look, right, so the, the sort of the poster art for the show, I would take this over GoBots any day. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's right. It can't be any worse than the Rock Lords. That's the thing, so. <laughs> so, also, Andy, worth noting, the animation studio on this episode is Toei Animation. Yeah, and it's, it's another it's another pretty, pretty decent looking one. Like, as, as sort of generic as this episode is in a lot of ways, it's... It kind of works because it's actually well animated. You can get away with it. We begin as we continue in our journey. Now, apparently, according to the TF Wiki, Andy, this episode is set in 2006. So we've kind of jumped forward in time a little bit here. But I feel the need to note that we begin in the Netherlands, which seemingly, at this point in time and Transformers continuity, Andy, is the most violent violent nation on Earth. Because there are bands of roving street gangs just throwing grenades into windmills for no reason. <laughs> and they're unable to rely on the police. And old ladies are now arming themselves in their gardens and stuff. Desperate yeah. to try and restore order here, the police have turned to the Autobots, who seek to stem the fighting. Cue Andy, the Protector Bots. This seems like a perfect job for them. And what are they doing as we see them for the first time? They're looking at what's happening on a big screen. Which prompts them to say, quote-unquote, why are the humans always fighting each other? It makes no sense. Another says, if it did, we wouldn't have been asked to help the police. To which Rodimus then says, well, you're not helping anyone by standing here talking. Get to it. (laughs) Probably the the best thing Rodimus has said in in quite a while. The the thing I love about this, and I'm not sure whether this is deliberate or just the way it, it, it works out, I thought this was going to be a bit. I thought this was going to be a joke where they're all like, oh, look at the humans being stupid. And Rodimus was going to come and be like, guys, 
you're watching TV. Like this is just like this <laughs> yeah. is just some like random like movie that they're watching. And it's like, oh no, you are actually supposed to be there. And like, yeah, Holland is somehow like a hotbed of crime where grannies are blowing up windmills or whatever the heck is going on. This is actually a thing. Okay, cool. Because I, I was totally ready for the, for this to be a joke of just like, no, humans aren't that bad. But oh, actually, there's all this stuff going down. But no, yeah, apparently Protectorbots just sat watching from the couch just been like somebody should really go sort this out <laughs> we have we haven't seen them in a hot minute to say the least and the first appearance of the protected bots is them like just lounging around effectively doing not their job yeah ha- ha- haven't seen them in a hot spot minute you ah could. there you go so should be said we ain't kind of see the protected bots rolling out to stop the violence and whatnot and then we get a conversation on on site if you will between Rodimus Prime and Ultra Magnus, which includes the following dialogue. Magnus says, You were a little rough on them. Rodimus responds with, Yeah, I was, but things have been getting real tough lately. I've got so many responsibilities, I'm not sure I can handle them all. Magnus responds with, But you're doing a wonderful job! Trust yourself more, and in time you'll realise you're every bit as good as Optimus Prime ever was. To which Rodimus responds with, Optimus Prime, who could ever live up to him? Now, I've got to say, Andy, when Magnus said, in time you'll realise you'll be as good as as Optimus Prime ever was, I literally, without missing a beat, just said out loud, bullshit. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what what a suck-up Optimus is being. I mean, it's like, come on, at least least be a little more measured in it. I'm just like, yeah, you know, you're you're doing fine. You know, you're doing you're doing all right, but yeah, just uh, doing a wonderful job. I mean, this this is to be fair a really good distillation of the kind of what has been bugging Rodimus Prime all season long, and he's finally actually kind of come out and properly said it to uh, you know one of his colleagues. Um, so I do kind of like this as just a sort of you know behind the curtain of Rodimus actually being kind of vulnerable in front of Ultra Magnus and being like, man, I'm having a rough time handling this job. Um, so yeah, that is kind of refreshing to see that. Yeah, joke jokes aside on that because I was joking when I said the BS thing, but this was actually for the first time in a while, Andy, some genuine character development of Rodimus Prime, which was actually quite refreshing. Yeah, yeah. And even having like Ultra Magnus from his sort of perspective of just like, you know, his his feedback, non- wrong though it is, uh, like was it is kind of, you know, interesting to see the interactions between those two and, and you know, so on and so forth. So yeah, it was kind of kind of a quite a nice little moment really. Arriving in the city, the Decepticons attack and Blades, the helicopter protector bot, is injured in the process. First Aid, the ambulance protector bot, takes him back to Metroplex, or Autobot City, for the context of this episode, Metroplex, I guess, to get repaired. This is when Galvatron continues attacking. After some back and forth laser fighting, retreating, okay, I say retreating, in fairness, Galvatron does actually say on this occasion, return to Trypticon. He doesn't say retreat, he says return. So I'll give him that one. I'll give him that one for once. But in the process of returning to Trypticon, Galvatron starts taunting and threatening Rodimus with the prospect of him using his ultimate weapon. Keep that in mind, everybody. At Metroplex, 
Swindle randomly breaks in and manages to seal Metroplex's transformation cog. First Aid, who, let's not forget, and I say that partially in jest, Andy, because I genuinely can't remember if this has ever been said before this episode, that First Aid is a pacifist and tries to reason with Swindle, but the Combaticon merely shoots the Autobot medic. With the following dialogue exchange taking place in the process, Swindle says, I heard you were a pacifist, but I don't believe there's a Transformer who won't fight for his life. First Aid responding with, I don't believe in fighting. I'm a medic, not a warrior. Swindle then just says, Then you'll die for your beliefs. <laughs> Short, sweet, and to the point. Um, Andy, I mean this as a genuine question. Has it actually been established before that First Aid is a pacifist? I don't recall if we have in the cartoon. I mean, as we discussed back in season two, the protector bot's got pretty short shrift in terms of introductions. Um, you know, all, all of the other special teams, all of the other combiner teams got, you know, their, their big entries into the franchise and the protector bot's just kind of turned up. So I don't think it was. It's one of those weird things like I was aware of it and remembered it from the box of the toy because I had all of the protector bots and I had first aid and I, I distinctly remember even as a kid being like oh that's kind of interesting to have like an autobot who's a pacifist like even even as a medic it's like that's an interesting little angle that they've thrown in there um so it's sort of interesting that you know that again they carried that over into the into the cartoon and sort of you know made it a plot point in an episode but it was maybe mentioned as a throwaway thing, or there was, like, a moment where, like, you know, he wouldn't get involved in a fight. I feel like I have very vague memories of that, but it certainly wasn't, like, a, a big deal before this point that I recall. So, in and, in and amongst this, this uh, dialogue and action, excuse me, First Aid is knocked down, and Swindle then makes it clear that Metroplex is stuck in city mode, quote-unquote, forever, as he has the transformation cog. I won't lie, Andy, I thought this was Swindle's way of just trolling us at this point. Yeah, but also, I mean, how many times has this happened this season now? <laughs> I know, People right? stolen bits of, of Metroplex. Like, you know, it's the thing we hear non-stop is, like, how powerful and important he is. Like, just install a burglar alarm or something. I mean, come on. Because like, I think it's, like, this is, what, the second time his transformation cog's been stolen? He had his eyes stolen the other week. I mean, it's kind of amazing that he ever functions at all because he's just constantly being burgled. I mean, what, what, which episode was it when Blur and Wheelie were being, like, FedEx to, like, deliver the transformation yeah, call? That, that was the end of Five Faces of Darkness, wasn't it? Oh, it was as well, wasn't it? it must have yeah, been. so, like, right back at the start of the season, there was the whole transformation cog thing going on, and now here we are again. <laughs> once again, <laughs> Metroplex has lost his transformation cog. I mean, you think they just have a spare at this point. Just have a backup. <laughs> Have like an emergency break glass in a box or whatever it is. Yeah, like break, break glass if transformation cog has been stolen again this week. <laughs> At this point, amid a fleet of naval destroyers, Trypticon rises from the sea like Godzilla and eats a ship before destroying the rest. Galvatron tells Trypticon to hurry up to Metroplex, but realises at this point when and when not to push the dinosaur, especially when he's hungry. Swindle then arrives and attempts to haggle for the cog. Galvatron... Actually, you know what? I'm going to do it this way. We then get a bit of a dialogue exchange between Swindle and Galvatron, which I decided to write down for Beta Mandy because I think it's just a really fun dialogue exchange. 
So, Swindle goes, uh, Galvatron, we gotta talk. In private. We then cut to the beach, of all places. (laughs) Swindle continues, saying, Look, you know, I've been thinking. The Autobots will probably pay me a fortune for this little baby. Galvatron, without missing a beat, just goes, One last time, Swindle. Give me the cog. Swindle then goes, What are you willing to pay for it, Galvatron? Hmm? What's in it for me? Galvatron responds with, I'll let you live to regret this treachery. He then transforms, fires at him. Swindle then hands him the cog, excuse me. And then Galvatron continues, Refuse me ever again and you will not be so lucky. And Swindle just ends the conversation with, I was joking, Galvatron. You know me, a real joker. (laughs) Just a really fun little scene now. I really enjoyed that. I I, I love Swindle. Like, while while we're talking spin-off shows, I just kind of want, yeah, I I just want a a Swindle show where, you know, he's just just always... It's basically only fools and horses, but it's Swindle, I think, is what I actually want. (laughs) I mean, hey, the Transformers comic license is changing hands or starting anew again, isn't it? I think actually it ends it ends this month, like June 2020, for anyone uh, listening in, in the far yeah, flung future. That, so that. IDW ends this month, so I guess the new... I don't even know who the new licensor is, actually. It's got it. But I guess that new run will be starting imminently. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. So again... I, I'm here for pictures. I'm, I'm available for hire. If, if you want, if you want my swindle only fools and horses spin-off show, I can I can make this happen. I can write this. Swindle fools and horses, or only fools and swindles? I don't know. Yeah, we, we need to work. Uh, yeah, uh, see, this is why Andy will get hired and I won't. As has been proven with many things, I provide the bad ideas, so only good ones are left. This is the way it works. Continuing with the story. At Metroplex, First Aid is feeling guilty over his pacifism. While Rodimus maintains that he would never force First Aid to violate his beliefs, First Aid decides to leave to clear his head. Rodimus then says to Magnus, quote-unquote, You see, old friend, I just can't keep the Autobots together. I don't think I've got what it takes to be our leader. Maybe it's turned I turned in the rings to someone else. Like, like who was my first thought? I'm, just like, I'm not really sure. I mean, we've tried Ultra Magnus. That didn't end so well. Also, call him old friend. It's like, I mean, you know, you guys weren't getting on so great until he became Rodimus Prime. So old friend might be might be pushing it a little bit. Mm. But I mean, again, that, that sort of, it's really interesting that that's sort of like the unspoken thing. Like you, you felt like that should be Ultra Magnus's response. Like there's nobody else. Like there's no one else who's going to do all the flashy turning to a new transformer when you give them the matrix thing. So you're kind of, you're kind of stuck with it, my friend. So quick divergence on conversation here. Hypothetically at this point where we are in like the season three continuity, if you had to pick someone to take over the leadership, who would you pick? I mean, I guess I would hope for the return of Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, that's just it. There there's really isn't kind of anybody who would really 
kind of fit the bill because I, I mean yeah Ultra Magnus is the obvious one but again we've seen what happens when he has the Matrix he just gets blown to bits over and over again so you know he's kind of out the running I mean kind of Springer is mm, a good action guy I mean he would probably be my choice of like charismatic leader um, but yeah, there's, there's not, it's kind of, it's kind of slim pickings. Metroplex, no way he's always losing bits. <laughs> so he's no good. Yeah. It, it is a, it is a small roster, ironically, given how many blooming Transformers there are. Uh, possibly also maybe thinks they were going, could go in a different direction and go for RC. Um, yeah. Well, I mean that again, if you would like pitches for an alternate universe story where RC becomes like the leader of the Autobots, I, I would be I would be here for that. What about pipes? We've not seen pipes in a while. <laughs> or what about who else is that? Power Glide, Warpath, you know? Yeah, well, like I mean, now, now, now I've turned around on the girl who loved Power Glide, then maybe I might be I might be all for that. So you know, <laughs> if there's one thing that us doing this podcast has done, Andy. It's made you turn your opinion on that episode. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's I mean, genuine like sidebar. It's the thing that I've loved about doing this is you know discovering episodes that I thought I didn't like and that they're actually good. So you know, it makes it all worthwhile. Continuing with the story, learning that Trypticon is inbound towards Metroplex, the Autobots roll out. After trudging through a lot of farmland and reaching a nearby city, Trypticon begins to menace a train, but Defensor manages to save it with only one arm because first aid isn't there. I really like that as a touch. I really like that as a Mm. touch. Oh, yeah. Untime out for a second. It was a great moment to look at. It was a really super cool moment. From a continuity point of view, Andy... Let's go back to the last episode, when Predaking wanted to form, but it couldn't because I think it was Headstrong had an injured leg, therefore couldn't transform. The reason I wanted to bring this up was, is it impossible for the Combiners to form if they don't have all of their parts? Because I kind of just assumed that was a given. I th- I feel like this has happened once before where we've had like maybe it was Menasaur or Superion because didn't we have it with Superion because it was like Slingshot went off and did his own thing and there was a moment when they did the same thing I could be imagining that but I feel like we've had at least one combiner combine when he's missing one of his component parts Hmm. I mean I think I could be wrong here but the issue could be to like explain what is probably nonsensical continuity but i think headstrong is one of the legs of predator king so i guess like combiner transformer just hopping around is probably less use useful than combiner transformer that's just missing an arm Hmm. predator king could have used like his sword as like you know a, a crutch you know yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there, there would be that. I mean, it also feels like a design flaw that they're not just interchangeable and you can just, you know, slap them on wherever just to, you know, make whatever works. Um, but uh, and, and there have definitely been animation continuity errors where, like, you know, the component parts have been in the wrong places at the wrong time, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, I've always assumed that they can do it. It's just that it's going to be a bit janky, especially if one of your leg parts is is missing, because, you know, what what are you going to do then? Hmm. Gotta be said, though, that when this train was just flying in the air and Defensor just came in and kind of assisted it one arm to get it onto the ground, like fed it through, as it were, it was a really cool moment. And again, it's another super great thing that Toei was on this episode. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's it's a thing because had this been an ACOM episode, we'd have been like, maybe this is just an animation error. Maybe they just forgot to draw the arm. Like it's absolutely <laughs> possible. But at least here in safe hands, we know. Oh no, they're doing a thing. They're doing a thing around first day. I'm I'm here for this. At this point, the aerial bots move into attack. Air Raid, out of all of them, is the one to get shot down because he effectively just kind of flew towards Triptocon's head and Triptocon just used his fire breath. So got taken out because of that. But this allowed Silverbolt, while Triptocon was recharging and his gob was still open, quite frankly, to just fly through his mouth into his stomach and started just laser firing inside Triptocon's stomach. At which point... Triptocon was in tremendous pain, Silverbolt got out, and Triptocon is forced to retreat. Yeah, we've, we've all had a carry like that. <laughs> However, it's only bought them some time, as Metroplex is still the only one, ultimately, who can fight Triptocon. And he is still locked in city mode, essentially. But even when they're eventually able to get the cog back, First Aid is the only one who actually understands how Metroplex works, Seems a bit of a bad thing, guys. You know, get your process in order, just saying. Enough to fix him. So this means that Hotspot decides to go and find his AWOL teammate. Rodimus and Magnus head for Triptocon's hiding place. With Spike and Daniel inside each vehicle posing as repairmen. We get the following dialogue exchange. Daniel says, Hi! Are you the one called Galvatron? The Decepticon responds with, No, I'm Vortex. Why are you here? Daniel responds with, Uh, we're delivering stuff to the workmen inside Triptocon? Vortex responds with, I don't believe you. Vortex then kneels down closer to the vehicle and starts sniffing, not even joking. Quote, I detest the nauseating stench of Autobot fumes. So pure, so pollutant-free. Tell me the truth, human, or you'll wish you never tried to double-cross a Decepticon. Vortex then grabs the car, begins shaking it violently, and because his window was open, and also clearly because he wasn't buckled in, Daniel falls out and is thrown off a cliff. Uh, yeah, tune in for Nightmare Planet Part 2 coming soon. <laughs> Before I... Oh, oh, I should also note, the, the next camera cut that we see is Spike just with a shocked look on his face. <laughs> it's a really good joke, like, like my son, I'm not going to do anything about this. <laughs> Literally what I thought. Uh, so I've, I've got to say, that little interaction between Daniel and Vortex was, was pure gold, I loved it. It was great, but also, like, if, if you're planning to, you know, send fake workmen in to to work on, quote-unquote, work on Triptocon, don't send the child. <laughs> like, have have grown-up workmen who are, you know, adults. Like, who's going to buy, like, this little kid being like, yeah, I'm here to work on your boiler. It's like, no, you're, you're a kid. Where's Carly? <laughs> also, also... Don't just drive up in a van that is just recolored Rodimus Prime. I mean, that <laughs> I did was like that. it's like literally. Which I mean, there, there's a whole question here of like, can the Autobots just change the color that their livery color just like on a whim? Because they just like change back at some point. It's, it's just like Ultra Magnus and Rodimus Prime just recolored, and it's like 
can you just do it? Can you just pallet swap like that? I don't, I don't know. But also, like you know, surely they could have found you know a lesser known Autobot like Pipes, for example, um, who you know maybe <laughs> maybe wouldn't have been instantly recognizable. Of like, huh? Weird that your like work van looks exactly like Rodimus Prime, but just a different color. Didn't Perceptor was it Perceptor that came up with like the the, the sort of the, the spray paint that can make you look like something different in another yeah, episode? Could, could also have used that and looked like a completely different thing, but I guess maybe they ran out of that. Maybe that's you know they use that can for I don't know the the Christmas party or the the fancy dress party at Christmas or something. Like, oh, if only we kept kept more of that. But maybe, maybe they used it for Halloween. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who can say? <laughs> so just to cut to the chase, Magnus saves Daniel. <laughs> and then Rodimus and Magnus then distract the Decepticons. While Spike and Daniel literally break into Trypticon by taking apart a panel on one of its feet, go through inside, seemingly just know exactly where to go to find the transformation cog inside Trypticon, and take Trypticon's transformation cog. As they're then running away, having completed their job, they literally bump into Cyclonus's foot. <laughs> who doesn't realise who they actually are and just believes that they're standard human workers. This despite the fact, I would say at this point, Andy, Cyclonus really does know who Daniel is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they have... Uh, again, I, I almost wish they'd lent into this a bit more of like, have we met? So like, no, no. This is the <laughs> first, first time, first time. But also, all of my prior comments about Metroplex and security, please, like, revisit them, but just su supplant that with Trypticon. Because, again, <laughs> also, probably just needs a burglar alarm in there. So, Cyclones ends up just telling them, go that way to get to your next repair job, because that's how badly Trypticon got injured. And of course, Cyclonus carries on walking. Daniel and Spike are already getting away at this point. And then Cyclonus gets into where the cog is meant to be, and effectively realises, it's gone! But can't get them, because they've already got away. <laughs> this scene was great, but utterly ludicrous. Yeah, this definitely feels like the point of the episode where they were writing it and just got to the, like, wait, how do we actually resolve anything in this point? And it's like, oh, we're going to have to take some liberties with this, so like, buckle up. Well, speaking of buckling up and taking liberties, Andy, let's get on to what happens next. Returning to Metroplex, Rodimus is, is doubting himself on a decision that he makes, which is to install Trypticon's transformation cog in Metroplex. While the Decepticons at this point, because Trypticon doesn't have his cog, install Metroplex's cog into Trypticon. Yeah, th th this is like that thing where something breaks in your house and you've got something that kind of fits into that slot and you're like, it'll probably work. I mean, it looks the same. You know, like this, this component of a PC looks a lot like this one. I'm sure if I just plug it in, it'll be fine. <laughs> so now Trypticon is more than up for battling I think the exact line he used was Trypticon can still smash <laughs> or something similar <laughs> they head to the battle and then Metroplex is now ready to try and battle as well or I should say is sort of ready because Metroplex transforms from city mode as it's phrased on the TF wiki 
but both cities it's a weird phrase to say that but both of the giant transformers are suffering problems is one way to put it because they both got their opponent's transformation cog inside of them that said andy full credit to toei because this fight sequence between these two giant transformers looks freaking great yeah yeah i mean again i with this series, as with everything, I tried to not read the YouTube comments, but I did just happen to accidentally scroll down, and so yeah, like a lot of the a lot of the top comments were people being like, "Hey, this is like the best Trypticon versus Metroplex battle that this series has," um, and yeah, it is really good, including the malfunctioning transformation cogs, which I will never not find entertaining. Like we've had <laughs> malfunctioning transformations previously in this series, and you know, I've always found them amusing and fun to watch and this is no exception hashtag where is octane <laughs> yeah <laughs> now we've mentioned first aid in this and that you know i think one of the one of the other autobots hotspot i think it was has gone to find his teammate let's talk about where first aid is he's at a junkyard not ironically with Rekgar, which could have been the easiest thing to have done when it comes to adding in another character no andy this is a junkyard that is run by a robot simply labelled and or named as NUL-A, Null A, who, based on the baseball cap they're wearing, is a New York Yankees fan. Yeah, I, I, I don't know whether that places us in New York for this episode. Like, I'm not sure, like, geographically where any of this happens anymore, but we'll, we'll assume New York, I guess. <laughs> so, Null A is a junkyard robot, and it works seemingly works for a company that is fixing abandoned refrigerators and <laughs> there's only one way to phrase this first aid is is helping him in an effort to think about something else other than the autobots that's not a good morale point you're at first aid just saying no. hotspot then arrives and seemingly informs him of metroplex's problems though First Aid is still unsure of rejoining the Autobots, but realising the peril that they're in, wants to help Metroplex and understands that that danger is more important than anything else. Should also note that I think Null A makes a reference to knowing Rekgar, and describes the junkyard that they're in as something like that even Rekgar would shiver at. Which that means... It's a pretty bad junkyard, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that is a pretty low slash high bar, depending on how you look at it. So, back with the big battle. Trypticon has now gained the advantage, and in a somewhat sort of irony, Andy, Metroplex is thrown into a nearby lake by Trypticon. Based on what we've seen also happen in this season, it was a one, wonderful, yeah, wonderful I, little callback there. I gotta say, yeah, if you if you if you have giant Autobot or giant robot thrown into body of water on your bingo card, <laughs> now's your time to shine. Heading for Metroplex, First Aid manages to get inside by being lowered by the helicopter protector bot, and then properly aligns, fixes, solders, however you want to phrase it, the transformation cog, allowing Metroplex to fully transform. Metroplox, Metroplox, that's not a word. <laughs> Metroplex then throws Trepticon deeper into the lake, and the dinosaur transformer sinks. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Galvatron, at this point, everybody, this is what you've been waiting for, threatens to use the ultimate weapon. But Rodimus calls out Galvatron's bluff and effectively just goes, go on then, use it. 
I dare you. Doesn't actually say that, but that's basically what's implied. Out of options, Galvatron ruining his own ploy crushes the controller that was going to activate, quote-unquote, the ultimate weapon, throws it on the ground, and then retreats. At this point, the, the dust has settled, if you will. First Aid's faith in his work is restored. Rodimus's confidence is now emboldened. And at least until next time, he has a crisis of faith. Oh, and it should also be noted that we're told the trip to sank to the bottom of the lake. Again. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the episode ends. Yeah. This episode, again, there's a lot of fun stuff conceptually in this. I really like the character development stuff involving Rodimus. It's interesting we got a focus on a protector bot rather than the protector bot, plural. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that they, they chose the the whole kind of like first aid, you know, angle to to go with because it, it does sort of feel quite random, but it does also work within the context of this episode. Um, but yeah, like it's it's weird because this is such a generic episode in some sense in terms of you know the the machinations between Autobots and Decepticons, a fight at the end, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I really like the fact that this is a title called the Ultimate Weapon. And there was no ultimate weapon. Like, I really... I mean, I. to be fair, my final note is, like, the, the real ultimate weapon is Rodimus Prime's mind. Because he just, like, calls out Galvatron and be like, no, nah, you, you've not got one. Um, and I, I I enjoy that as a real sort of, like, brave thing. for, Especially for a kid's cartoon where you're just, like, you know, you're bigged up by the episode title. Like, oh, what's he got? And it's like, no, he's got nothing. He's just, he's just bluffing. He's lying. Um, and you know, it, it it wasn't a windmill that was going to turn into a giant robot because apparently another series does that. So, yeah, I I I, I like I like that. I I think this is a good. This is, again because this is a better animated episode. It can kind of carry it off, and yeah, it's it's pretty good. Like you know, I appreciate them exploring the pacifist angle of first aid and kind of you know giving him giving him a bit of an arc um it's good to see it kind of revisit some of the rodimus prime stuff in a more sort of verbose way um so there's, there's lots of nice little things here and i think it sits together as a pretty decent episode it just doesn't have any kind of real like banger moment that makes it like oh wow that was really cool with the exception of obviously the big fight between the two giant yes yeah absolutely but yeah kind of like narratively it sort of you know it, it does that typical transformers thing of it just kind of ends um and you know it, it doesn't really have anything more to do than that but yeah like you say it kind of doesn't need to because you've had your big triptychon and metroplex fight you've watched them do their weird transforming break dancing thing when they were a bit busted up and you know you, you've had your fill of good transformers you could argue the ultimate weapon was toei animation <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's go to the tf wiki and see what interesting trivia notes we have got on this episode real world references this episode is set in the netherlands though not named distinct features include several windmills in the opening sequence a lot of trashed and burning traditional dutch half timbered houses and a cluster of modernist a-frame vacation cabins which were stomped on by tryptocom Null A appears to be a New York Yankees fan, as I mentioned, based on the brown baseball cap bearing that actual team's logo. Star Wars sound effects, Andy. The Millennium Falcon engine burst appears as the aerial bots launch. 
the X-Wing diving wine and tie roar as Magnus jumps after Daniel. <laughs> and the Millennium Falcon engine burst as Magnus leaps up the cliff. <laughs> oh, it's really funny how there's just loads of things in there. Uh, what else do we have here? I didn't catch this, okay, but apparently. So, during the, their initial assault on the village, Octane is seen firing among the Decepticons in several shots, even though Galvatron had placed a price on his head in Starscream's ghost. Curiously, Onslaught is missing, even though the other Combaticons are present. It's tempting to speculate that the wrong character was called for by the script or pulled by the animators. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you definitely, you definitely can't form Bruticus without onslaught to uh, to get back to our prior conversation because that's a definite no okay. So, continuity error, another one. Rodimus Prime claims that only First Aid knows enough about Metroplex's internal construction to put the transformation cog back correctly. However, pipes was the one who reinstalled it most recently. <laughs> and surely Perceptor is smart enough to give it a good old go and figure it out. See, I, I told you we needed pipes in this episode. <laughs> There's one thing I'm going to learn by the end of the show. It's Pipes is a dark horse player. <laughs> so, trivia note. The animation quality takes a particular leap forward when Trypticon attacks Metroplex. In fact, this is the only non-ACOM episode... Featuring Metroplex versus Trypticon, and thus the only one that doesn't make them look cartoonishly awkward. <laughs> Very true. Foreign localization. So, as mentioned, this episode is called The Ultimate Weapon. In French, it was known as The Ultimate Weapon. Uh, in German, there are two different names here. Which, uh, sorry, there's like a Generation 1 and Generation 2 version. So Generation 1, it was it translates as the Transformation Module. I mean, yeah, pr more, more accurate, to be fair, yeah. but sort of... And Generation 2, it's called The Big Bluff. Spoilers. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, you know, maybe, maybe giving it a little too much away. Uh, in Italian, the first dub called it the Ultimate Weapon. Second dub was the Final Weapon. Uh, Japan was just called the ultimate weapon, as it was in Mandarin. Uh, in Russia, it was called the main weapon. And uh, in Latin America, which seems to be uh, <laughs> the outlier here, Andy, it was known simply as the deadly weapon. No, well, I mean, yeah, even less accurate than the ultimate weapon, to be honest. Yeah, so there we go. So that, that concludes these three episodes, Andy. And uh, yeah, a, a fun set of episodes to be discussing today. I had fun with those. Yeah, yeah, they were all kind of entertaining, you know, in, in their own ways. And, and as we've said, they, they, it, it's the thing that I think has surprised me about this series kind of like throughout, you know, watching the episodes that I've not seen before, is there's always kernels of good ideas in them. There's always some some concepts that it's trying to explore that uh, I can kind of get behind. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, it feels like a long time since we've just had generic, you know, Decepticons try to get some Energon, Autobots fight them kind of episodes. Like, there's always an angle to it. And season three, I think, with all of its space-faring and post-movie stuff, like, it has so much to work with that is over and above just, you know, a fight for energy. Um, and that that really kind of helps when it comes to episodes like these. So, yeah, it's been it's been a, an, an enjoyable an enjoyable trio, to be, to be quite honest. 
But what is next, everybody? Well, next time on the podcast, we are discussing episodes 21 to 23 of season 3, which have the following episode titles. The Quintesson Journal, The Big Broadcast of 2006, Only Human. Yeah, I am I am very excited inter- slash interested to watch the big broadcast of 2006. Like as you mentioned earlier, it's one of the few stories, one of the only stories really that converted across to the comics. Um so I, it kind of became like one of the sort of from from the UK side it was like one of the classic stories of the Marvel UK comics. Um and it was sort of, you know, reprinted and sort of, you know, it was much lauded. So I'm sort of interested to see this version of it to see how it compares not not that i can remember a lot of what happened in the comics version to be fair but uh, yeah i'm definitely excited to see that one um i'm also excited to see what's in the quintesson journal and whether it's just like had muesli for breakfast etc etc <laughs> or whether it's something a little more interesting let us chuckle <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i chuckled heartily and then i had my lunch it was a sandwich i chuckled heartily at my granola <laughs> yeah. The yeah. big breakfast of 2006 <laughs> The big breakfast The quint. I don't know anything about these episodes I didn't actually know about the big broadcast Being one that, that was that crossed over Into the comics if you will The Quintesson Journal based on those titles Seems like the one that May have the most interesting things To reveal But given what you've said about the comic Element of the big broadcast That clearly has got some stuff That's happening in it so I'm excited to see what that is. Only human, I'm just going to assume it involves Spike, Carly, and or Daniel. <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, quite quite possibly. I mean, wasn't there a video game called Only Human? I don't know. I don't. It's, it's a very generic name again. I, I mean, there's a Metallica song called Minus Human. Oh, well, it was pro- probably influenced by this episode of Transformers, <laughs> as we have learned throughout this uh, this podcast. So there we go, everybody. That is what we are going to be talking about in two weeks' time when our next episode is available. Good, sir. Before we wrap up today, any additional thoughts you would like to convey or any other randomness you have got to impart on everybody? No, no. I'm just I'm just hoping that uh, the only human is all about pipes and not about Spike and Daniel. That's my new hope. <laughs> Justice for pipes. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, the, the, true, the true Autobot leader that we never had. <laughs> There you go. That should be the hashtag. <laughs> Pipes for Autobot leader. Uh, yeah, nothing else from me in fairness. Just, again, fun talking about these episodes. Looking forward to, to seeing where we go next. And, uh, and as we say, Andy, we're gradually getting towards the end of Season 3. We're not far away now. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, creeping up on us. So, uh, yeah. We're, we're nearly there. And then, of course, what will no doubt be the epic conclusion that is the Season 4 three-parter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, like I, I remember being very excited about that coming out on VHS and watching that as a kid. So I'm kind of, I've not, that I've definitely not watched since. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting, getting back to that, the final quote unquote episodes. There we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for checking out the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out and leave us a comment about what you thought on the show, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply search for the username at Pod. 
you should find us just fine. If you did enjoy the podcast, if you feel so inclined, why not leave us a little rating on your podcast platform of choice? And also, why not tell a friend about the podcast as well? We would really appreciate it. Also, like I said, if you want to find the video version of this, and and not only of this episode, but also each and every single episode of this podcast we have recorded, you can find complete in video form on YouTube. Search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast and you should find our channel just fine. On that note, from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we have been Starscream's Ghost of Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.